0: Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. We'll be discussing Jesus' authority and our obligation to government. So if you'll open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 20, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't we go ahead and get started? Let me open us up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this group. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in this office. And thank you for bringing everyone here together safely this morning, as well as those that are joining us remotely by phone. I also want to thank you for those who will be listening to this recording after we complete our Bible study. I just appreciate so much this ministry that you've given to all of us and the impact that it's having across the country and even in some countries outside the U.S. We thank you so much for the way that you're working in and through each and every one of us. I just ask that you continue to work through us and tap on our heart when you want us to share the gospel or share our story with others. There's so many hurting people out there, and we're so grateful for the grace that you've extended to us, and we know that you want to use us in a way, in a very powerful way, to help others come to faith and realize that tremendous peace that's available to them. And so, Father, as we continue our study of Luke today, just open our hearts and minds to your word. Have it continue to change us. Let it be your words, not mine. And anyone else who speaks up, just guide our discussion and help each one of us hear what we need to hear this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Luke 20. We have been in Luke for a long time, but that's okay. This is all really good stuff. So we're in Luke chapter 20. And just to remind everyone where we left off, we are now in Passion Week. Uh, This is the final week of Jesus' life here with us in bodily form. Here is Jesus uh, in the flesh before his death, burial, and resurrection. As we discussed last time, he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of the colt of a donkey. After that, he has been going in daily. He's not spending the night in Jerusalem But he returns there each day to preach in the temple. And we saw then on Tuesday of Passion Week is where we left off last week. He went into the temple and threw out all the people that were there conducting business. Everything from selling animals that could be sacrificed to the money changers who were changing money into the Jewish coinage so that it could be used there to buy animals for sacrifices. And he threw them all out. This was his second time to do that, as we read in the scriptures. And that's where we left off. And so we'll pick right up in Luke chapter 20. So let's start in. And by the way, it's Wednesday now in our timeline. So now it's Wednesday. Chapter 20, verse 1. And it came about on one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, So he's teaching people to repent and believe in him as the Savior, that the chief priests and the scribes with the elders confronted him. So confront means with hostile intent. They're not just asking questions in the hopes of coming to belief. They are confronting him. And the chief priest, this is most likely Caiaphas and his father-in-law Annas, And so they then we see in verse 2, And they spoke to him, saying, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? So what are they talking about, this authority? Well, let me give you a whole list of things. I did a little study here on Jesus' authority. First, they may be talking about the fact that he keeps coming in the temple and clearing it out. Remember, the religious leaders, that's actually their business that's where they're making a lot of money in selling the animals for sacrifice. Remember, you could bring your own animal, but they would probably find a blemish on it and say, well, nice try. You need to buy one of our animals, which were very, very expensive. So this was a big enterprise for the religious leaders and they weren't too happy that Jesus kept running them out of business. So that may be what they're asking in terms of authority, but there's a whole list of others. Let me just take you through some of them. I'm going to have you pretty busy this morning flipping through the Bible, but I'm going to try to go left to right when we go through this. So go over to Matthew. Matthew's the first gospel in the New Testament. We'll start there and we'll work our way from left to right. Let's go to Matthew 7. Let me show you some of Jesus' authority here. Matthew 7 and what we're going to see here is he speaks on his own authority not quoting other rabbis Matthew 7 verse 28 it says the result was that when Jesus had finished these words the multitudes were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes so most people when they got up to speak they would reference other rabbis or other teachings Jesus spoke on his own authority, which was very different than what people had heard. So he speaks on his own authority. He doesn't quote other rabbis. Number two, just go a little bit further in Matthew to chapter 9, verse 6. Let me show you that. Here's where he is going to have the authority to forgive sins. Verse 6 says, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and go home. And he rose and he went to his home. And when the multitudes saw this, they were filled with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Okay, so he has the authority to forgive sins. Let me show you another one. He has the authority to cast out demons and authority over hell. Now go over to Luke. Go back to Luke where we were. But now we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So he has the authority to forgive sins. Now let's go over to John, the Gospel of John, which is the Gospel right after Luke. And I've got some verses in there. He also has the authority to grant salvation to us. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him to those he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he has that authority. Now stay in John go over to John chapter 5 verse 22. And there we're going to see he has the authority to judge. John 5:22 For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he has the authority to judge. He also has authority over life and death and he can raise people from the dead. Let me show you, stay in John, go to John 10, verse 18. And I've got a whole lot more than just what I'm giving you, but I'm just trying to keep it simple, going left to right. I'll actually start in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So that's talking about the authority over his own death. I'll show you one more. Go all the way to the back, Revelation one eighteen, The last book of the Bible, Revelation one eighteen, And that says, I'll actually start in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one and i was dead and behold i am alive forevermore and i have the keys of death and of hades so he has the authority over hades he has authority over his own life and he laid it down for us we can go back over to luke 20. these religious leaders they are really trying to get him to say that he gets his authority from god he had said that before but now they're wanting him to say it publicly because then they can say that he's blaspheming God and call for his execution. They ask him the exact same thing when he cleansed the temple the first time. You can go look at that in John chapter 2, verse 18. So they're asking Jesus, where do you get this authority that you're doing all these things? In verse 3, he answered and said to them, I shall also ask you a question and you tell me. So he knows they're up to something. They're trying to get him. So, he's not going to answer them yet. He's going to ask them a question. And he is going to trap them in a dilemma in this question that he's going to ask them. And as I said, he had told them previously that he got his authority from God, but they're trying to trap him publicly here. So, his question in verse 4 is Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? So, he's talking about John the Baptist, and he's asking Was John's ministry of baptism? Did that come from heaven or was that just something men made up? And verse five, you can tell that they don't know how to answer this because it says, and they reasoned among themselves. So they kind of get in a little huddle and say, "Uh oh, this question is going to trap us. How do we answer this? Because look what it says. They say to themselves, if we say from heaven, then Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe him? If John the Baptist's ministry was from God, then why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you get baptized? Why didn't you repent? Why didn't you believe in his ministry? So they can't say that he was from God. So they can't say that. Verse 6, but if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they're really caught in a very difficult situation because if they say that he's from men, then they'll get stoned. Because the people will view that as blasphemy because they viewed John the Baptist as a prophet. So what do they come up with? Verse 7. and the answer, they did not know where it came from. So they just say, well, we don't know. That way they can get out of the dilemma. So they plead ignorance to get out of this question that Jesus has posed to them. But they want to kill him. Let me be clear. This is now coming to a climax here. They want to kill him. Let me show you a couple of verses. Go back over to John. That's the easiest place to go find it. It's in here in several different places, but go over to John chapter 5. John is just to the right of where we are. John 5, and let's look at verse 18. Well, let me start at 17 so you see. But he, that's Jesus, answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So we see there that they want to kill him. And then go back over to Luke, and I'll just show you another reference that we read previously in Luke hold your place in Luke 20 and let's go to Luke 5 told you I was gonna make you work a little bit this morning Luke 5:21, it says and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying who is this man who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but God alone and so they're looking to kill him that's what they're looking to do now and they want to figure out a way to trap Jesus And so Jesus responds, let's go back over to Luke 20, verse 8, and Jesus said to them, you're not going to answer me, neither then will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. You think about it, Jesus had taught them, he had performed miracles for three years, but now he's just not going to give them any additional information. And this is where now judgment is coming on Israel's leadership. There is a limit to God's patience. He has been so patient with them, but there's a limit, even for all of us. I've got several verses I could show you. If you're taking notes, you can look at Genesis six three, Isaiah sixty-three, ten, Jeremiah eleven, verses seven and eleven. But let me take you over to Hebrews. That'll be easy. It's in the New Testament. Just go to the right. Hebrews is about in the middle of the New Testament, and it's a big book. So just keep going over to the right and you'll find it. Hebrews 3, and I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me. So this is prophecy And this is where the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness. Remember, there's a reference here uh, to Psalm 95, verse 8. Remember, there were 12 tribes, and they sent the tribes in. They sent spies in to spy out the promised land. And 10 of the tribes came back and said, oh, no, no, we don't want to go in. You know, these people are too big, and oh, no, this is terrible. We should have stayed as slaves in Egypt. But there were two, Joshua and Caleb, that said, no, no, God promises to us, he'll take care of us, we ought to go in. They take a vote, and they say, no, we're not going in. So God let them wander the wilderness for like 40 years until that generation passed away. That's what this is referring to. And it says at the end of verse 9, and saw my works for 40 years. Verse 10, therefore I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brethren, lest there should be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any of one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. So God is very patient, but eventually After time and time and time again, your heart will just become hardened. And that's what has happened to Israel here. That's what he's referring to. So listen to this parable now that he's going to teach to illustrate this. I'm back over in Luke 20, verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. So this was very common in Israel. You can think of kind of like a tenant farmer, where a landowner would then let his land be used by a farmer and then expect to get paid rent from part of the crop. By the way, there's a parallel account to this in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46 that we studied when we were studying Matthew. Verse 10, And at the harvest time he sent a slave to the vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce of the vineyard. So now that there's a crop that's come in, he's sent someone to collect his percentage as rent. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And when you go back and look at the original language here where it talks about beat, the words that are used reference removing skin. So this was not just a kind of a fist fight. This was a severe, severe beating, a whooping. It's a severe beating. And send him away empty handed. So the people listening to this parable right now, they're going to be enraged over this because this is not right. Okay, this is not right. But let's read on verse 11. And he proceeded to send another slave and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. So we can see the owner is patiently giving them multiple opportunities to do the right thing. Look, he does it again, verse 12. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. And in fact, if you go look at the account in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it says others were sent who were beaten, stoned, and murdered, okay? So it's unbelievable what these vine growers are doing to the owner's representatives. Verse 13, and the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? Well, the people listening right now to this parable from Jesus, I can assure you that they're thinking you gotta bring vengeance on them. I mean, this is ridiculous. Okay, that's what they're thinking. But what does he do? He says, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. If I send him to go collect, they'll respect him, he's my son. Verse fourteen. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So, the law back in the day said that if land was unclaimed for three years, that it would then pass to those working the land. So, they're thinking, oh, we'll just kill the son and then the land will be ours eventually. That's what they're thinking. Verse 15 And they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Jesus asked. Verse 16. He will come and destroy those vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, may it never be. So at first, the listeners, they come up with an appropriate response. You know, they're thinking, yeah, there ought to be some vengeance brought on these people. These people are crazy to treat the owner and his representatives this way. But now they realize the story is really about them. Jesus had condemned them and their leaders to destruction when you look at this parable, the vineyard owner is God, and the vineyard is Israel, and the vine growers are Israel's religious leaders. And this extended journey that the owner went on and turned the vineyard over to these vine growers, it reflects the Old Testament times and these people that kept coming. These are the prophets that kept coming from God during the Old Testament times. And, of course, the people of Israel killed all the prophets. These are the owner's slaves in this parable. And eventually, they're going to throw Jesus out of the nation of Israel and turn him over to the Romans to kill him, just like the son was cast out of the vineyard. And so divine judgment is going to destroy Israel and the temple, which then happened in A.D. 70. So this is the story. Jesus is telling them, this is what you've been doing. You've been killing God's prophets Now, God sent his son, and now you're going to kill him. And we'll see. They know the story is about him. It says in verse 17 But he, Jesus, looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. So he's saying that, hey, that's not the end of the story. Just the killing of the son, that's not the end of the story. He is the cornerstone, even though they are going to kill him. Prophecy says that the son will be killed, but he will be the chief cornerstone. He's the Messiah. He's the cornerstone for our salvation. And as a result of this, the stewardship of the vineyard is going to be given to others and the new stewards to lead the people of God into the kingdom are now going to be the believers in Jesus Christ. Remember as we talked, is either last time or the time before I took you through Daniel's prophecy and talked about the 70 weeks, and now there's this pause before the 70th week comes, before tribulation, we're in what's known as the church age. That's where we are right now. Now, eventually, there is going to be a remnant of Jews who will come to belief during the tribulation, along with the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. That will then usher in the earthly messianic kingdom that will come, the thousand-year reign that the Jews have been looking for, and the kingdom will be established after Jesus' second coming. And if you want a reference to the 144,000, you can look at Revelation 7:24 and also Revelation 14, verses 1 through 5. This is what Jesus is now telling them what's going to happen. Let's go over to verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So those who reject Jesus or don't believe, they're going to fall into judgment and they're going to be crushed. You can look at John chapter 3, verse 36 for more on that. So let's see what the reaction now is from the Jewish leaders. Verse 19, And the scribes, remember those are the lawyers, and the chief priests... Tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. See, they know exactly what Jesus is saying in this parable. And the religious leaders, they're determined now that they've got to kill Jesus since he was attacking their false religion. And they've decided that if somehow they could get Jesus to say something against Rome. Remember, they don't have the power to kill, to put people to death. Rome did not allow them to have that power. So they need to get Rome involved. And they're figuring out that if they could get Jesus to say something against Rome, then the Romans would want him to be killed because they wanted to protect peace. They didn't tolerate insurrection. They're beginning to think if they could turn Rome against Jesus, well, then that might turn the crowd against Jesus because he didn't conquer Rome. They're looking for a conquering king, someone who would come and free them from Rome. So they're trying to get Jesus to publicly state the popular opinion of the Jews, and that is that Rome needed to be overthrown. That's what they thought, but now they're trying to get Jesus to say that so they can get Rome to come against Jesus. And then once that happens, they figure that the people would reject Jesus as the Messiah. So let's see what happens. Verse 20, And they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, so here's this hypocrisy, in order that they might catch him in some statement so as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. So that's Rome. This is their plan and they questioned him. What we're going to see now in the rest of 20, we're going to see these various attempts, these groups come in to try to trap Jesus, okay? They're all going to strike out, but let's just watch what happens here. Verse 21, and they questioned him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God and truth. This first group, this is the scribes and the chief priest and They're trying to trap him using this flattery. They really hated him, but they thought they could play into his pride. They think that Jesus is maybe like them, you know, very prideful. So you play into their pride. Then maybe he would respond in a way to support the flattery that they're putting on Jesus. So they ask him, verse 22, Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not under God's law? All these taxes are coming on us. And should we really be paying that? Because they hated to pay taxes to Rome. They viewed all of their land and everything that they had, that that all belonged to God. And they shouldn't be giving it to Rome. They hated Rome. So they're trying to trick Jesus. Because they know if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, now there's insurrection, now they got him. They can turn him over to Rome. So verse 23, But Jesus detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Well, it's interesting that he didn't even have one, okay? Jesus has no money. He had to ask somebody for one. And so they give him one. And he says, whose head and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Jesus is basically saying, look, God put all governments in place, so pay your taxes Jesus has no interest in politics. He has no interest in changing Rome. He has no interest in changing this whole political landscape. That's not why he came. And in fact, let's flip over to Romans real quick. Go over to the right. You'll come to Acts and then get to Romans. Let's go over to Romans 13. So Romans is right after Acts. Romans 13, let's begin in verse 1. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this... You also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We'll stop right there. So all governments are put in place by God. Leaders are in place. They are there because God has allowed it to happen. That doesn't mean they're all good. Look at the nation of Israel. All the kings in the north, all bad. All the kings in the southern kingdom, a couple of good ones, okay? You can look through the history of the world. There are not that many good rulers, okay? Now, they're going to have to answer to God for the way they rule. But that's not our problem. We are told in many places in the Bible that we are to pay our taxes. We are to abide by the rulers that God has put over us. When you have the opportunity, go vote, but leave the results to God. And whatever happens, that's what happens and realize it's in God's hands. And that is so different from what we see in our culture, even today, because everybody's looking to march on the streets, watch the various news channels, go to any party. And all the discussions usually turn to some political or social thing that we're all irritated about, right? and we all need to get involved and send our money to this cause or sign this petition. Jesus never told anybody to do that. And Rome was every bit as bad as what we've got, in some cases worse. They were doing some terrible, terrible things to people. Jesus didn't ever complain about Rome. In fact, he even paid his own tax, and he knew that money was going to the people that were gonna kill him. Okay, so we can't even say, well, The taxes I pay, they're using it for things that are not right. You could say, look, they're even helping support abortion, or they're doing this or doing that. God knows that. God knows all that. We're still told to pay our taxes. Pay our taxes and move on. God's going to deal with the other part. Trust me. He says, vengeance is mine. Everybody will have to stand before God and give an account for how they handled the authority they were given. That's not our problem, all right? What we are here to do is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That's our job. Jesus wants us to work on people's hearts, okay? He didn't want us overthrowing government. He wanted us to work on people's hearts because it's through the changing of people's hearts that social things will change. You can even look at slavery. Slavery was wrong. He never talked about slavery. In fact, I'm going to teach on that Eventually, we're going to study that. I've been working on that right now. But rather than creating a social uprising about slavery, it was not right what they were doing. He worked on people's hearts. He knew if he could change people's hearts, then they would get to the right place as it relates to slavery. So our job is to help change people's hearts through the Holy Spirit working in and through us. That's what we're here to do not sign up and march and be listening to the various news programs and getting all worked up and calling people and sending out social media stuff. And that's not what we're called to do. That's not what Jesus called us to do. Amen.
1: You know, that, that's a really a breath of fresh air that, that we,
0: we all need to just cling to because it's so easy to get sucked back in in our daily walks, our daily journeys. And just, I don't think I've ever listened to this quite, I'll, I'll never will again, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I, I don't think I'll ever hear that again the same way as I have in the past. And what has God given you? Your time, your relationships. It's not just your money. The situation that you're in, throughout the day, everywhere you are, God knows where you are and maybe even he put you there for a reason so what are you doing what are we all doing with our time our relationships our friendships the relationships we have at work why does God have us in these various situations each and every day that's the question
1: you know all
0: this goes back to the condition of the heart all goes back to the heart you can look at it time and time again You look at all the religious activity and traditions and things that the Jewish people were doing to try to look good on the outside. And Jesus made it very clear. Yeah, you make the cup look really nice on the outside. It's the inside that matters. He wants our heart. What is the condition of our heart? And what is the condition of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what he wants, a personal relationship, not us doing a bunch of stuff to look religious on the outside. Amen. That's good. And so let me just finish, and then I want to keep talking about this a little bit because I won't have time to get through the rest today. Verse 26, And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people, and marveling at his answer, they became silent. But they hated Jesus... And they hated him a lot. And eventually, they're actually even going to lie to Pilate and say that Jesus said, don't pay taxes. We'll get to that when we get to Luke 23. But as we see here, this was the first group, the scribes and the chief priest. They strike out. Next batter up. And when we come back next time, we'll pick right back up and we'll see the next group. So this is a different group each time. Each time as we go through this chapter, there's going to be different groups of people trying to trap him. They're all going to strike out. But it's not the same group each time. No, you'll see. You'll see. See, look in verse 27. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees. Okay. Each time there's going to be a different group of leaders that come in to try to trip him up, and they're all going to strike out. Jesus had a few enemies, huh? <laughs> he had a lot of enemies that eventually put him to death. So let me just sum up what we read today. We've been given great privileges through this grace that God has bestowed upon us, but with that privilege comes tremendous responsibility. And so, you know, I asked it earlier, what are we doing with the positions that God has given to us? And what are we doing with everything that he's revealed to us? We sit in here each week. Many of you have been in here for years. We have a lot more information and understanding of this book than most people because we've been spending time in it. And so what are we doing? God has blessed us with this group. What are we doing with that information? How are we applying it and using it in a way to help other people who have no understanding or have incorrect understanding of the gospel? How are we helping them come to faith? How are we allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us to do that? You look at these prideful religious leaders Pride is something I struggle with. You know, I think probably a lot of us struggle with pride. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to get rid of that pride in our own heart. We've got to pay our taxes. It's the end of the year. We're going to have to start putting our taxes together, which is one of the worst times a year for me. I can't stand it. But you know what? We are commanded to pay our taxes. So just do it. And if we can do it with a smile, knowing that this money that is not going to be spent wisely The people who are spending it unwisely are going to be held to account for that. So that's not our problem. Not our problem. Not our role. Turn it over to the Lord. And I'd say particularly that Jesus died for our sins. And it's only by grace that we've been saved. How we were picked, I got no idea. I got no idea why God chose me to extend his grace to. But I tell you what, as days go by... I just thank Jesus more and more and more each day for that grace that he's extended to me because I know I don't deserve it. And I'm just so thankful of that gift. What an incredible gift that he's given to us. I really look forward. It's not like I want to die this afternoon, but I really look forward to eternity with Jesus Christ. And finally, we really need to be praying for the people that we know, that we're friends with and family. That haven't come to faith we really need to be praying for them that either God use us in a way to help change their eternity or put other people in their life that they'll listen to times running out we're all gonna die some of us are getting up in age we're all having friends now die there are people dying of COVID there's a lot of death out there and each day is a gift And times running out and some people have been saying no so long to Jesus that Their hearts may be getting hardened. So we've got a job to do. I just encourage each of us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Some people say, you know, that's just not my thing. You know what? Then just pray this. I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing to be made willing. I don't want to do it, but I am willing to be made willing. And you've got to help me. Just help me because I'm uncomfortable doing this. But I am willing to be made willing. And let's try to make a difference. And let's finish this race that God has us in. Let's finish it strong. It doesn't matter at this point what you did up until this morning. But now we got a race. We got a job to do. Let's finish this strong. Let's go out and really make an impact on the people that we love and people that God puts us into a relationship with. So I'll open it up for questions or comments, anything else that you might want to share or talk about. So Jesus being the bold character that he is, why do you think that he wouldn't tell the Pharisees by what authority he was acting under? He had already told them before. They had gotten to a point that he knew they were trying to kill him. He wasn't going to change their mind. That's what they were going to do. Their hearts were now hardened. He wasn't going to give them any more information. He wasn't going to perform any more. The next miracle is his resurrection. That's his next miracle. Pretty much judgment is now on Israel. I think that's why he told this parable that here's what's happening. The vineyard's being given to somebody else. You all have failed. Israel was the nation that God chose to bring all the rest of humanity, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, into believing that there is only one true God. And they have failed in that. And so now they're rejecting his son. They are self-righteous. They think they can get there their own way. They don't need a Savior. They've got Abraham's blood. They do all this stuff to look good on the outside, but they have no heart for God. So now they've killed all the prophets. They're about to kill the son. The vineyard's being taken away from them, and it's being given to the believers in Jesus Christ during this church age. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So he's done. Yeah. There is a limit to God's patience. Yes. And then I have one more question on the, when you went to Romans and you were talking about authority, at what point, like let's just go like with someone like Hitler, are we as believers called to kind of not listen to authority because they're going against God? Maybe that answers the question right there. Any time that somebody's telling you to do something that is clearly counter to what God's word is, you don't obey that. Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Daniel's three friends that were told to worship the golden image or they were going to be thrown into the fire. They basically said, we don't need to answer you in that regard. We're not going to worship your image. You can play the music as many times as you want, but we're not going to worship it. What I love about that story is they don't say and they don't pray, keep us out of the fire. You've heard me talk about this before. That's our typical prayer. When we see a fire coming or we're in the middle of a fire, we're saying, please get me out of the fire. They don't pray like that. They say our God is able to keep us out of the fire. But even if we go in that fire, we're still not going to worship that image. And we know God is with us. And he'll be with us in the fire. And sure enough, Jesus is there dancing in the fire with him. And they're all free and they're not even burned. Yeah, why are there four people in that fire? Didn't we just throw three in and they're all loose and dancing around and they come out, they don't even smell like smoke. Not even burned, not even scarred. But they don't pray to get out of the fire. That is faith. How many times when we pray do we say, oh gosh, this is terrible. Oh, oh, help me, help me. I don't like this. Instead of, and I do it too, I'm laughing at myself. Instead of saying, You know, I don't really like this fire that you had me in, but I know you want to teach me something, or you're trying to teach somebody else. In their situation, what that was all about, that fire wasn't to teach them something. It was to teach everybody, that huge crowd that was there. Remember what happened when he came out of the fire? Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is the God, and if anybody speaks bad of their God, They're going to be put to death. And so it brought glory to God and an understanding to everyone else. So sometimes the trials we're going through, a lot of times it's to bring us closer to God, but sometimes it's to have an impact on other people. Might even be both, but sometimes it isn't about us. It's about others seeing how we handle the trial and they go, how do you have that peace when I see what you're struggling with? How do you have peace? There you go. The door's open. Now you can tell them. It's through Jesus Christ. I've got peace. I know where I'm going. This is nothing. This is nothing that I'm going through. glad you brought that up. That's a good teaching moment. It was a great lesson today. It helps us to keep our mind on heavenly things and not earthly things. It's not this life that matters. It's the life to come that matters. And submission to Christ in this life is our highest calling. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.